0: let them know why they need to watch this. Make them hit that pain point that they're having and let them know you're going to solve it in that first 15 seconds. So it may be something like, if you're thinking about starting a YouTube channel in 2019 and you have no idea where to get started, stick around because I'm giving you 10 easy steps to get started this weekend
1: Welcome to the Brands That Book Show, where we help creative, service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is YouTube strategist, Trina Little. And as you've probably guessed, we're chatting about how to utilize YouTube in your business. I had heard about Trina from a mutual friend, but I got the opportunity to meet her in person at a conference we recently spoke at and I'm glad I did because she knows her stuff. This is one of those episodes where you'll want to have the notepad ready. Trina is an MBA graduate who has built two YouTube channels of her own, and she's served clients like Heather Crabtree, Think Creative Collective, The Contract Shop, and Jessica Rasdell. And she also speaks at various conferences about YouTube strategy. You'll wanna check out the show notes at deviancrista.com for the resources we mentioned during this episode. Trina provides a number of freebies to help people get their YouTube channels started. And I'd like to hear from you about what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brand Set Book Podcast as we move forward. I'd also like to know what episodes you've enjoyed most so far and why. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davey and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. Now on to the episode. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show today, Trina. YouTube is something that we've been playing around with. Even at the beginning, when we started this podcast, we had started, started a, a corresponding YouTube channel for it as well. And it went down in flames. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But what I would say is that we have far more listeners on iTunes and other podcast players for this than we do a YouTube channel. And then maybe that has to do with how people consume, you know, this kind of long form material, but I'm excited to dig into all of that with you today. And I've heard so many good things about you from mutual friends like Vanessa Kynes, who was on the podcast earlier this year. And video is just something that I would like to do more with. So Mm -hmm. there's so much to talk about today.
0: Yeah, I can imagine from video to YouTube to so everything in between.
1: Yeah. So I'm excited to hear about your story about how you got started with YouTube. Just the the little that I know about you. And we got to meet each other at Creative Heart this year, but didn't have a chance really to chat all that much. How did you get into YouTube? I know that it's, it was sort of like a roundabout way, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. So there's no real YouTube major in college and I don't want to date myself, but I graduated college before YouTube was even a thing. And so when I was going through my master's in business, like we didn't even have or any of that kind of stuff. And so I had my job out of college. I pretty much was bored to death. It was no fun at all. And when I got pregnant with my first child, I was the first one in the group of friends to get pregnant, so I didn't really know what was going on, what to expect, and I somehow stumbled upon YouTube and started watching mostly mom vloggers talking about their pregnancy updates. I found somebody who was a month ahead of me, so I started watching her updates. And then my business brain clicked with my creative brain and thought, I would literally buy anything that she told me to buy right now. Everything she talked about in her baby registry, I was adding it to my list. And I was wondering why weren't more businesses doing this? And so I just decided to start my own YouTube channel and started creating a community and realized how instant the connection is on video, because it's kind of like you're speaking to somebody, you see them, it's like they're there with you. And then people started asking me how I did certain things on YouTube, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I convinced my husband with a lot of promises that I, if I quit my job, I would make this work. And so I officially left my job at the end of 2015 when my daughter was 10 months old and jumped headfirst at the beginning of 2016. And through ups and downs and roller coasters of entrepreneur life, I'm still doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, so what were you doing prior to YouTube?
0: Yeah, I worked for the federal government. There's an army base here in our town. And I worked there doing kind of human resources stuff, but not really, but kind of. And it just was not my jam. It was not something that made me excited. I, when we would go on trips, when we would vacation, I was the person taking all the video and then splicing it all together and editing it. So all of our friends that were across the country, we could share that with them on a YouTube video so we could all remember our vacations together. And so I loved video editing. So that's kind of how it tied into YouTube and started, starting my own business.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of crazy though, because you, you just had a you had a 10 month old at the time. And I always talk with Chris that we, we just had our first Jack, who is about six months, almost exactly six months now. And one of the things that that I was talking about was with her recently was, would we have taken the same risks had we had Jack earlier on in our in our marriage? Because we we were married for eight years before before she got pregnant. When it's just the two of you, right? It's a little bit easier to wrap your mind around, you know, taking some risks. But with a ten month old, I mean, so how did that conversation go over with your husband? What and were you confident that this YouTube thing was going to take off?
0: I confident. My husband is skeptical because he's a finance person. But while I was off on maternity leave, there was like some issues taking maternity leave, then going back, it just wasn't good. And so he saw how it was going to affect me if I kept going back to work. So that's kind of where it went. And I don't want to surprise you even more. But with the 10 month old in the first year of business, we found out we were pregnant with the second child five months into business. So (laughs) It was really crazy.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, probably a hard lesson in productivity or making the most. I mean, that's been one of the biggest adjustments is I was so naive. I hesitate to even say this out loud. But like, you know, when Krista got pregnant and we were thinking about what life would be after having a child, I was just thinking, you know, in the beginning, they just they sleep, they eat that, you know, and and they have a little bit of awake time and that's it. And life would pretty much look, you know, similar to how it, how it does now. Krista and I were always pretty disciplined people, but life has changed in so many, so many ways. And so I was very, very wrong about about that. That is crazy. So how did you first start getting clients with this new company as a YouTube strategist?
0: Yeah, so a lot of people that were watching my mom videos started asking me questions. And then I just started to find this creative entrepreneurial niche or community and Facebook groups. Since people, I branched off of my mom YouTube channel and started a business channel where I talked about how to get started with equipment. And like basics of YouTube channels, and people started talking about me in Facebooks Facebook groups because I became the authority figure so quickly because I was on video. I really attest it to being on video. People were able to connect from me, learn quicker from me. And so anytime people would ask a video question or a YouTube question in about five or six Facebook groups that I was in, everyone was always tagging me. And so it was pretty easy to just, once the people started rolling in, it was pretty easy to make it doable with clients from there because they felt like they knew me after watching a video and they could know right away whether they wanted to work with me or not.
1: Yeah, I think this is probably a good transition into what, what the maybe the advantages or benefits of YouTube are. I mean, would you say that that's one of the biggest benefits of being on video is just it's more instant trust?
0: Huge. Yeah. I mean, Not only me, but quite a few of my clients, they're finding their qualified leads. The people that actually buy are coming from their YouTube videos because. I mean, obviously we are not going to be somebody for everybody. We have an audience and we know that we're going to connect with that audience. And so being on video allows you really to skip that step of weeding out people that aren't right for you and instantly, you know, connect with that person that's going to purchase your package or your services or whatever it is that you're selling.
1: So when somebody gets on YouTube... Is that kind of the main benefit is, you know, building trust with your audience? I'm sure there's other benefits to being on YouTube as well, but what expectations should people have from like things like advertising income? You know, I mean, there's obviously channels out there that get, their, their videos get maybe millions of views. And I assume that they make, you know, decent av- advertising revenue from those videos, but you know, for the large majority of people getting on YouTube, what should their expectations be around the benefits of being on YouTube?
0: Yeah, I actually teach not to just focus on AdSense as your income. You should always have a business model off of YouTube because AdSense are not guaranteed. In the past two years, there's been what people refer to as adpocalypse. And so you can't always count on the ads. I mean, my channel is small. It's under 10K, but it brings me enough qualified leads to have a full-time business. And as far as AdSense money that I'm getting per month is maybe $100 a month. And so it's nothing that I bank on. I use that video to really build my trust with people. I use those videos also now in newsletters and in funnels. And so that as people come in through an opt-in, if they don't know I have a YouTube channel because I also have a Pinterest strategy and I show up in Google results, they are able to get to know me more through video with, video that I've already done in my funnels when I link to videos.
1: Yep. And so for for YouTube, especially it being a a video search engine and obviously owned by Google as well, do you, have you found increased search visibility uh, through Google search results?
0: Yeah, actually, it used to be Pinterest was my number one external traffic source, but now it's Google. And what's amazing with that is on a Google front page, in a search term, not only could you have a YouTube video show up, which Google is always going to put the YouTube video towards the top of the page because Google values video, but if you embed it into a blog post, I have multiple keywords where I have not only my YouTube video, but my blog post on the front page search results. So that's two results on the front page.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think what's incredible about that too is that I see Pinterest as a channel with a ton of opportunity even now. I mean, so many people use Pinterest, but I still think there's a lot more or, or a lot of opportunity there Whereas, you know, the search result pages are a little bit crowded, you know, so maybe there's a little bit more competition there. So that's awesome that you're seeing so much uh, referral traffic from Google now. And I've noticed that in the search result pages as well, is that the YouTube videos are going to show up right at the top of the pages and they're really going to promote those over, you know, something like just a text blog post. So that's fascinating. So as you got started with your YouTube channel, I think one of the, the holdups for me for YouTube It's just a simple act of recording a video and then being happy with it. And this is coming from somebody like, you know, I speak on stage in front of people. I like that. You know, I like, I like talking. Krista would tell you that I very much like talking, right? Uh, Hence the, hence the podcast. But at the same time, for whatever reason, when I get in front of video, I go to perfectionist mode, you know, and I kind of overanalyze everything from, you know, how I look to how I sound. And then I find myself re-recording and re-recording to the point where I'm just like, you know, screw this, I'm done with it. And then whatever it is doesn't get done. So, have you always just been kind of naturally comfortable on video?
0: It's not that I've been naturally comfortable, it's just done is better than perfect. And I leave my very first videos up. My mom channel, my very first video. The lighting was terrible. I used a DSLR camera that I didn't know how to use. I borrowed it from my mom. It was out of focus. I was, I found be like a personality too. And so those are absolutely cringeworthy and terrible, but I leave them up because it shows you where you gotta start. Like you just gotta rip the band-aid off and do it because the only way you get better is doing it over and over and over. And I find that you are your own biggest critic. And so even though you keep filming it over, you think it's terrible, so many people most people won't even notice anything for me like i'm always concerned about i have bottom crooked teeth and so i was always concerned and wrapped up on that i've never even had a single person mention that in a video again we get into our own heads and we want like this perfect background but people actually connect better with somebody who's more authentic and allows them to just allows you to just be more you I saw a change when I I first started. I tried to be very perfect and speak the words, right and shoot and reshoot, and I didn't connect. And once I just let go and started talking with my hands and started being more me, that's when my channel started taking off. That's when more inquiries came in. That's when the community started to be built is because I let myself get over that perfection and just let myself be on video.
1: Yeah, I've noticed definitely... We're recording a bunch of videos right now for one of our courses, and um, I'm finally at a point where I can do things in one or two takes, you know, and just get through it. But I mean, it was—I feel like it was a long process for me to to get there. But at the end of the day, it was just a matter of doing it over and over and over again, and 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 keeping with it. With that said, I'd still love to, you know, get that YouTube channel. Uh, going, you know, kind of the way, the way that I envision it going. But it might be a good time to talk about equipment. What kind of equipment do you need to get started with a YouTube channel?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the phones right now have great quality cameras, and so that's a great place to start. Uh, one thing that I would do, it to invest in first, would be lighting. Also, these webcams, a lot of webcams are perfect for YouTube too. You can record them on your your laptop or whatever you're using, but lighting is kind of the key. As photographers, you know, lighting's going to make or break your shot or the the quality of the camera. And so, one of the easiest things to do is. Get on Amazon or go to Lowe's and buy daylight balance light bulbs and just stick them in lights, like lamps, and get them close to you. And that's the cheapest way to get better lighting. With a phone, I say to get there's a road lavalier mic that's under a hundred dollars. That's a great way to improve your audio quality. Not only if you're shooting video for YouTube, but again, if you're gonna go live on Facebook or on Instagram, you instantly have that better audio quality with a microphone that plugs into your phone. And that's I mean, that's an investment of maybe under $150 with the lighting and a microphone using your phone. And so we get wrapped up in all this equipment. And if you buy all this equipment and you worry about having to set it up every single time, you're not going to do it. So my best advice to people is just start with something simple. To just start, get to just start going.
1: Sure, yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, just the I have an external video camera for the computer here. It's like a Logitech one. It might have been a hundred dollars. Um, this Yeti mic that I use for podcasting, maybe a hundred dollars. So not super expensive to get started. But like you said, if you have a phone, you know, and most everyone does now, and it's probably an, an iPhone or an Android equivalent, and uh, the video you can get out of those things is crazy good. So what about like editing? the video. What does that workflow look like for you? How much time should people be spending on editing? And again, going back to the struggles I had initially was, you know, I wanted to edit and make it absolutely look, you know, perfect and I never got there. And so it never got, you know, it never got released.
0: Yeah. So actually when you're doing a YouTube video, there's a process that goes in place prior to you even start filming. So knowing what the title of your video is and kind of scripting it out so that you can follow the proper format that works well on YouTube. And so by scripting it and knowing exactly what you're going to say, I don't mean you have to read the script word for word, but you know where the video is going, that's going to save you so much time in editing because it's not just you sitting in front of the camera rambling and you're trying to pick like the best pieces of it, I actually tell people when they do script it out, just remember a couple lines at a time and take a break and then read the next couple lines, like take a breather and then it'll be a lot easier to cut and splice it all together because jump cuts are great to keep people's attention on videos, so instead of just doing one big take of you talking everything out, just do a couple sentences at a time, which makes shooting easier, editing easier, I use Final Cut Pro, and there are a bunch of different places out there that you can buy plugins. And I have some editing plugins that uh, have text, certain type of text that you may see, or color overlays, or transitions, um, even color grading uh, plugins as well. So that makes my editing really easy. But the goal to make editing easy is really have your video planned in advance. So it's taking you less time to shoot it and a lot less time to edit it.
1: So I wanna talk to you in a second about planning your video. Something you mentioned though were, were jump cuts as something to keep people's attention. For people who aren't familiar with YouTube or video, what is a jump cut?
0: So a jump cut is where you cut the video and then add the next video. So let's say I'd be talking right now and then we would jump right into the next section without me even pausing. So that just keeps people engaged. Um, because there's a study out there now that humans' audience retention is like seven percent. It's like seven seconds now. It's around a goldfish's yeah. audi- a goldfish's attention. So having those jump cuts just keeps the eye engaged and minimizes those pauses that people might get bored over.
1: Okay, so so interesting and and also so sad that our attention is around the same attention span as a, as a goldfish is. But let's go back to talking about uh, planning a YouTube video. What does that process look like? Are you thinking keywords, things like that beforehand? Is that what goes into planning?
0: Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into YouTube, but what YouTube is really looking for with a video is actually audience retention. And so kind of the little golden number we look for in videos to see channels start to take off is if you can get 50% of people who click on your video to watch to the end, consistently, that's when YouTube's going to start suggesting your videos more. And when YouTube suggests your videos more, those videos get more watch time than if you would show up in search and like, say, rank your videos in search. Uh, The ranking videos usually get less watch time than suggested videos from YouTube. And so that's why it's really important to plan your content out in advance to make sure it's valuable and what your audience wants to see. So what I basically do is I just go to YouTube and I use YouTube search. Sometimes I'll go into the Google incognito window so that YouTube doesn't know my previous search history because YouTube wants me to watch as much video as possible. They're going to put videos in front of me that they think I'm going to watch. And so my search results are going to be a little skewed just going into my YouTube account and searching. So I'll go into an incognito window and just start typing in the idea I'm thinking in YouTube search. And it's gonna to try to pre-populate the keywords. And that's what people are actually searching on YouTube for. So that's a gold mine for video ideas. If I just search how to start a YouTube channel, there's probably five different video ideas, like how to start a YouTube channel with zero subscribers, how to start a YouTube channel and grow fast. Like Those are all different video ideas. And those are actual wording and phrases that people are searching on YouTube. And so planning that out in advance really helps you make sure your video will be successful on YouTube
1: that's so interesting because i mean it's it's very similar to the way that i would tell somebody to do keyword research right just if they were writing a blog post or if they were you know for search engine optimization you could go into google you could look at you know at the bottom of every uh, search results page there's a list of related searches that's a, that's sometimes a good way to generate some some keyword ideas and then same thing if you go into google and you just use the auto populate but like you said you're going to want to use the incognito window. And that's when people are checking their own rankings, right? They often they often don't use the incognito window, but Google knows that, you know, who you are, what website is associated with you. So they're just going to deliver your website higher than it otherwise would be. So super fascinating. So a lot of similarities between, you know, how you would do planning for just writing a blog post. About planning though, you you talk about uh, audience retention is it important to even know what video you're going to do next in your like content calendar, so so to speak, so that you have you know somewhere to send people either at the end of that video or so that it corresponds with other stuff that you're doing?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so this is kind of my big strategy on YouTube is to plan in series or playlists. Playlists are huge on YouTube, and that's kind of the way you can get people to binge your content Netflix style. And so when I'm thinking about my strategy, like what my content is coming up, I'm thinking about five to six videos that I can put into a playlist. So for example, I had a client come to me. She wanted to do a video on how to onboard a new client. I said, that's great. Let's make that the playlist. And what are the other videos we could put into that? So You can get them to have wins in those first like three videos. So what to put in an onboarding questionnaire, you know, the best client management tool. What are those easy wins you can get to them? Then in video four and five, maybe you go a little deeper explaining, you know, your process and what what it looks like so they can connect with you. And then that final video is your sales video, so to speak, not necessarily to sell something, but your goal in that final video is to send them off of YouTube to get your opt-in or to check out your packages. And so that's for a business, that's probably the best strategy is to think in playlists. Your first two to three videos are going to be those discoverable videos and those quick wins that get new people to your channel. And then those next two videos could be those community videos that allow you to show a little more of your personality, let them get to know you. Then that final video really sends them to where you need them to go off of YouTube because it's so important to minimize the amount of times you send people off YouTube if you want YouTube to suggest more of your content.
1: Sure, that that makes so much sense. But do you add like through those initial videos, would you ever even include something like a mailing list opt in or a call to action other than going to the next video? Or do you really try to keep people on for two to three videos without sending them off?
0: Yeah, so I do have my opt-in in the description box link. But every my goal for every single video for like the first four or five is to watch the next video. If I can prove to YouTube that I'm keeping people watching more of my content, they're going to suggest it to more people and that's going to get me more leads. And so if I'm constantly sending people off of YouTube, YouTube's basically going to bury my content and they're not going to suggest it to anybody. And so that's why it's pretty important to think of your strategy in advance and think when those sales videos are going to be so that it kind of wraps your content up into a bow and gets people into your list.
1: So when you come up with these uh, series or playlists, do you publish all your content at once? So you come with these four to six videos or however long the, the playlist is going to be and then publish them all at once? Or is it like, do you drip them week to week? What does that look like?
0: Yeah. So YouTube wants consistent new content. So I post on Mondays and Wednesdays. And so the first video, maybe I will end my video in kind of a generic type format where I'll say, if you want to learn more about how to use YouTube in your business strategy, make sure you click that video that's on your screen right now. And YouTube has end cards that you can add that send them. And for the first one or two videos, I will add the best for viewer option in the end screen because YouTube again is gonna put the best video that you have that that person is going to watch. And then the rest would be, you know, make sure you watch the rest of this playlist, click the playlist that's on your screen right now. And then you can always go back once you have a full playlist and change those end screens and update them to the playlist if you want.
1: Yeah, and these end screens are the ones you find within like the YouTube editor, right? Like when you upload a video, and they really are easy to use. You know, you really just select them and drag them in and place them where you, where you want them to be. So that's interesting hearing how you use those, those end cards. Real quick about the frequency in which you post. You post on Mondays and Wednesdays. Your business model obviously is very much around YouTube, being a YouTube strategist. What would you recommend is kind of the minimum amount that people could post to YouTube but still get benefit? Would that be once a week?
0: Yeah, I'd say once a week and spend that extra time instead of posting quantities of videos, post quality. So, if you're posting one video, really make sure it's hitting that audience retention goal out of the park. So, maybe you've, pers- when you post your first couple of videos and you're testing out YouTube, study that analytic, that audience retention graph and figure out what, where are people leaving. A lot of the time, so what you were probably seeing by posting these podcasts you were probably seeing a significant drop in audience retention in the first five seconds. I'm gonna guess you probably saw about at least 50 or 60% of people left in the first five seconds because people come to YouTube for a specific type of content. Just like if you posted an Instagram photo on Pinterest or you posted a Pinterest photo, every platform has its own unique type of content. And it's the same if you're taking Facebook Lives over on YouTube. And so what that's going to signal to YouTube is the significant drop off that your content isn't quality content and they're just going to start burying your content again.
1: Yeah. And for us, one of the things was just the, the sheer difference in the amount of people who were listening to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, whatever podcast player versus YouTube, how you edit audio and how you edit video are, are very different with video. Yeah, you can chop it up, but if you chop it up too much, all of a, it looks funny, right? Whereas with, with audio, you have a little bit more flexibility in how you chop it up. So, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of issues there. And I want to talk, so there's two things I want to mention here, or I want to stop and uh, and talk to you about, but I don't want to get lost in it, uh, so to speak, because I feel like it's one of those things we totally could. Earlier, you had mentioned different plugins for Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro is what we use as well. There's so many other things out there that, that people can use. And if you just have a, a Mac, you know, I think iMovie is kind of the built-in Mac one, but for Final Cut... Would you be willing to share some of the plugins that you use? You don't even have to share them now, but if uh, maybe I could get a list for you from you for the show notes, that some of your favorites.
0: Yeah, so I mean the main one I use is it's called BFX Nut N-U-T. And I mean, I know there's other ones out there, but that's basically the only one I've bought from is VFX Nut. And I mean they have packages. They have like a YouTuber package that comes with a whole bunch of different types of text plugins that you can have the fancy text instead of just what Final Cut offers.
1: Okay, good to know. And I'll put that in the show notes. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to forget about that. And I no, wanted people yeah. to know that you know they could go to the show notes to uh, to find that. And that and-
0: that does make your editing a lot easier because then you once you set it up once on one of your videos, so you get the coloring, right, the font, right, the size, right, then it's just copying it from video to video. And so that makes it a lot quicker and easier to get that text. So if you're doing like Step one, and you want to have a solid background with a fancy text come out, then you just have to copy that to the next video.
1: Yeah, that's, that sounds so easy. That's great. The other thing that I want to talk to you about was uh, the length of that your content, that your video should be on YouTube. And so again, using the, this podcast as, as an example, our episodes probably, you know, at, at minimum, they're about 30 minutes, but more than likely they're 45 or an hour. Does that kind of content just not do well? on youtube like are people really looking for shorter videos or what's your experience
0: there is no secret to length of video i know there has been a myth going around about youtube videos need to be 10 minutes because that's what youtube wants but what YouTube is looking for is that audience retention. Now you do have to balance that with watch time minutes because again, the more, if you're thinking about YouTube as like a game, you wanna accumulate as many coins as possible, right? And so all the minutes you accumulate are your coins that you're accumulating. But then if you get 50% of people to watch to the end, think of that as like a pot of coins and so that's even more valuable. So you got to kind of balance the length of the video with how long people are watching. So those videos need to be value packed the entire length so that people are watching. And that's when YouTube's going to start putting more of your content out.
1: Okay. So it doesn't necessarily have to be 10 minutes. Like it could be three to five minutes as long as people are watching and maybe going on to the next uh, video. And then theoretically it could be 20 plus minutes as long as people are staying tuned in.
0: Yeah. Once you start hitting... Say you're hitting 60, 70% audience retention on a five minute video, then that's a signal to you, let's make it a little bit longer and see if we can get accumulate more watch time minutes. For me, I'm not really thinking about the time when I'm shooting my videos. I know the content, I know what points I wanna cover. So some of my videos maybe three minutes. I think Monday's video was a longer one and it was 12 minutes. And so I'm not really thinking the time going into it. I'm just thinking about the content that I want to share.
1: All right. And the, the last thing that I'm going to ask you about kind of how you record your and, and publish your your uh, videos, we're going to talk about optimization here in a, in a little bit, but how much time from start to finish would you say that you spend on a YouTube video? How much time should people account for? I know in the beginning, it's probably going to be a little bit longer, but in general, what does that process look like from start to finish, creating a single YouTube video, including getting it published and shared?
0: Right. So first, I would say doing a single YouTube at, a t- single YouTube video at a time is not a good idea. I do it in batches. So I have two kids, and I know I have two days a week that are kid-free. So what I do is, whether the kids are here or not, I plan about three or four hours to research about 12 videos because I'm going to shoot 12 videos in one day and that's 3 month that's 3 months worth of content so I take about 3 to 4 hours to plan out my content doing that keyword research and then scripting and then when I shoot video I'm shooting from about 9 a.m. till noon or one, and I'm shooting all 12 of those videos. I have to do my hair and makeup to be on video, and it's not a hair and makeup day every day here, and so I know if I'm doing that, I'm getting as many videos done as possible. So shooting video, it's gonna get easier and easier the more you do it. And so if you just, the first one may be a little bit cold, then the second one you're getting warmer. So instead of just having a cold video every single time you shoot a video, or something comes up and you can't shoot a video that week, it's good to have them in your back pocket. And then I will edit in a batch too, because again, your brain set is in editing mode and you can easily copy and paste all of those presets that you put in and it makes things so much quicker. So I actually suggest that you batch this content, and it'll go so much quicker.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's what I do with this, uh, this podcast. actually. you know, I have three interviews today because it would just be it'd be too much to try to schedule interviews throughout the entire week and then figure out a time to get those processed and, and so on. So I think that's excellent advice. I am not as good as you, though, in terms of, of planning like three months out. So I, I think if I can get like a month out, I'm in pretty good shape. But I do want to move into best practices for YouTube. I know you have a number of do's and don'ts for us. So where do you want to start?
0: We'll go with the do's and then we'll go to the don'ts. And so the first do is you have to really think about your thumbnail also. So I know we start when I talked about how I research my videos, a lot of the time I'm looking at the thumbnails that people are using. And that's the little image that goes with your video. Um, That's, make, make or break your video, whether that thumbnail grabs people's attention or not. And the new YouTube analytics, um, it's called the Studio Beta, they now give you an analytic for your click through rate. And so that kind of helps you determine whether that thumbnail and your title entice people to click because you're going to see how many impressions your video got versus how many click throughs. And so what I suggest doing is always taking a video of yourself, at least Um, people connect with humans, people connect with the whites of your eyes. And so I've been testing this a little bit and I've been noticing for more female targeted videos, it helps if your video, if your thumbnail shows more of your personality instead of like a solid background. So I've been doing more thumbnails of me sitting at my desk and I've seen a higher click through rate Also, more Instagram-y or Pinterest-type photos for thumbnails are doing well for female creators or female-targeted videos, Um, just because that's our mindset right now, Pinterest, Instagram.
1: And those include your face like you at, you said, your desk or something like that.
0: Yeah, just trying to show possibly what you're talking about. So if I'm talking about power sheets or Simplified Planner, maybe it's me sitting at my desk writing or maybe it's me showing the planner just so they can get an idea of what it's about. Highly saturated, sharp images do well and also branding your image somehow. So for me, I have a little pink triangle in the bottom left-hand corner so if they watch one of my videos, and then they go over to the suggested videos after they're done watching my video, my thumbnails stand out with that little pink tab on the side that gets them to click to watch another video of mine if they enjoyed the one they want. So making sure you brand it somehow as well.
1: And is there any text overlay on the videos as well, like the title of the video? or?
0: So you would want to try test some text. If you put text on it, it should not just reiterate the title. It should just pull out... You know, three or four words that really describe what the video was about or something that teases the story or the value that they're going to learn in that video.
1: Okay, really interesting. And to go back to what you're saying earlier about click through and impressions, right? An impression would just be somebody seeing that result. Right. Whereas yeah, a cli- in
0: search and suggested and the home features, like those different places
1: versus the click through, which would be actually somebody clicking on that result. And I assume that for YouTube, it's similar to how a Google search result would work, where and you can see this information for Google search results in the Google search console how many times, how many impressions a, a keyword has or your site has for a keyword versus how many people actually click through. And I'm assuming that click through rate is going to be one of those factors for ranking is that right yeah. okay yeah
0: again youtube's looking at a lot it's looking at how long people are watching your videos or looking at your session start time and length like how long you're keeping people on youtube too and so um it's looking at a bunch of different things
1: awesome so what's the next do
0: then the next do is titles we always think of titles last i know a lot of people think of titles last i would know your title before you even write your content Knowing your title is really going to help you craft your video to ensure when people click on your video, that's what they're going to see. A lot of times that causes the drop-off in audience retention is because you created this title and you thought it was an awesome title, but you crafted it after you did the video and you're just kind of fit it in the video box. But if you do the title first, that really helps you craft your content to keep people watching. Um, Because the first five to 15 seconds of your video should be your hook, the way you're going to entice people. And you've got to pull in that title somehow in that first five to 15 seconds to ensure people the video that they clicked on is the video they're actually going to be watching and the value they're going to be getting.
1: Okay, awesome. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead if you have a do around hooks.
0: Okay. Yeah, sure. I can do a hook. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that because I was just wondering what a hook like? What does a hook look like? What are you basically teasing content and then going to the the brunt? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so it, it's basically the first fifteen seconds of your video, and a lot of people may open the video saying, "Hey guys, it's Trina. Welcome to my channel." But what you want to do is kind of you know turn the knife a little bit and let them know why they need to watch this. Make them hit that pain point that they're having, and let them know you're going to solve it in that first fifteen seconds. So it may be something like. If you're thinking about starting a YouTube channel in 2019 and you have no idea where to get started, stick around because I'm giving you 10 easy steps to get started this weekend. So they know they're getting 10 easy steps, they know they're gonna be able to get started this weekend and they have that pain point. They wanna start a YouTube channel but they have no idea where to get started. So being able to incorporate all of that into that first 15 seconds will increase your audience retention and will get people watching your video longer.
1: Okay, that's awesome. And would you include any like uh, intro to your channel after the hook? So do you basically the hook and then kind of the introduction like your typical, hey, I'm Trina and and this is my channel, yeah.
0: So the next, I'll just flow into the next do and it's a YouTube video format. So the YouTube video format looks like this. You have your hook, and then you have a branded intro if you do or don't, so like the graphic or the music or whatever, and that should be max three seconds. Three seconds, that's it. Because again, we got short attention spans, and it's gonna kind of look like an advertisement to people, and they're not gonna stick around. They don't care how pretty your logo is. But you just kinda wanna reiterate your value proposition of your channel and who you are. So three seconds, and then you open it with your personal intro. So hook, branded intro, personal intro, um, where you say your name and the value proposition of your channel. So for me, I say, hi, I'm Trina. On this channel, I help creative entrepreneurs get on YouTube to grow their business. Very to the point, because by 30 seconds, you've got to get to that content, especially people who are brand new to your channel. They don't care who we are. They have that pain point that caused them to click on that video. You've got to get to the content. And then you have your content, and then you wrap up with your call to action, which is different per video.
1: Awesome, and I, I love your introduction because it is very clear. You know, like that—that that value proposition is very clear, and right away you understand, you know, what it is that you're offering uh, people in general. So, do you have any more dos for us, or are we jumping into don'ts?
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's a good enough dos. So I'm going to start like fire hosing people with all this information, and they're going to be like, "Where do I begin?" So let's just do some don'ts. <laughs> so my biggest don't, and my biggest pet peeve—I mentioned it a little bit—is taking your live videos and putting on YouTube. Uh, Just because YouTube, people are on YouTube for a different reason and for a different experience. Uh, You can use YouTube Live, which is a great way, a great piece to incorporate into your content strategy. But one thing that you want to do with your YouTube Live thumbnails is have somewhere on there that it's a live video. So whether you have like a little red record button that says live, just so people know going into it when they click on that video, it is a replay of a live video. Uh, But again, Facebook videos are totally different because you want to engage with people and talk with people. And so they just, they don't work. I've tried it with clients. They don't work. So don't, (laughs) don't do Facebook lives on YouTube. You can put them on unlisted and use them on your website if you want. That way they're not going out to your whole YouTube channel and your whole YouTube universe. If you do it unlisted.
1: So basically that's a setting that you would choose after you upload the video. Correct. And then that way you can embed it wherever you want. But it's not taken away from, you know, both the value that you offer on your ch- on your channel and then also probably aesthetically too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome.
0: The other big don't I have is don't try to be something for everyone. So a lot of the times I get people that come to me and they're like, well, I don't really have a niche. I want to talk about this and this and it's not going to work. People need to have a reason to subscribe to your channel so for me, the reason why people subscribe to my channel is because wanting to grow their business. It's very specific, and that's going to cause them to subscribe. If you're doing, you know, you like planning videos, and you like cooking videos, and you like to talk about your business, people are, are confused, and they don't know why they need to subscribe to your video. So don't try to be a jack-of-all-trades on YouTube.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. And what other don'ts do you have for us?
0: Don't just go into YouTube without a plan. Have a plan, have a content plan. Again, YouTube really loves consistency, and so if you can shoot your videos up front and have videos in your pocket so that you know you can have one live every Tuesday, the more you can incorporate your live posting schedule, like the day your video goes live into your audience, the better it's gonna help you grow a YouTube channel, because. If you guys are uploading a video on Tuesdays at noon, your audience is like, great. It's Tuesdays at noon. Davey and Krista have a new video up. I'm going to grab my lunch and watch their video. And so the more views you get when that video is live in that first 24 hours, the more valuable you are to YouTube and the more they're going to suggest more of that video to more people. So that's why it's really important to be consistent and have a game plan going into YouTube.
1: Okay. Awesome. I feel like that's Definitely a mistake that I've made in the past when it comes to YouTube. I've just gone with like the sheer quantity of like I'm just going to put up as many tutorials as, as I can. So I do want to talk about optimization here with you, uh, unless there's something else that you wanted to particularly. Oh,
0: that's good. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we're so. Good.
1: Definitely wanna talk about optimization here. Before I uh, jump into that, subscribers versus uh, something like retention rate, I'm sure that it all contributes somehow to what videos are shown or um, just ranking in general. You know, like on on Instagram, one might say that it's not so much how many followers you have as it is like the engagement you have with those followers, right? Not to say that not having, you know, generally one follows the other, right? Like if people are engaging with with your Instagram account, generally people are going to follow that Instagram as well, so I assume that's it's sort of true with with YouTube as well. Like, how important is it, is it to build subscribers? But really, like, how do you weigh that against some of the other things that you look at when you're looking at the metrics for YouTube?
0: Yeah, I mean, numbers are basically a vanity metric, right? It, it's not making you money, no matter how many subscribers you have. At this point in time, I'm under 10k on my YouTube channel. It's a very small channel for the niche YouTube educators but it converts. It converts for me. And so I would actually focus on getting people to watch more of your videos than to say, subscribe to this video, because the more you can get people to watch, the more likely they're probably going to subscribe anyways, because they're going to start liking you. And they're like, I want to make sure I get all of her videos. So I'm going to go ahead and subscribe. And so, I mean it's more so the audience retention. I mean, YouTube really understands how we work. And so they know if people are watching your video to the end that you have quality content in your in that video, that channel is going to keep people watching. And so they're going to push more and more your content to more people. And that's ultimately how you're going to build more subscribers.
1: Okay, awesome. And I, and I think that was that's good to clarify. Because you know, at the uh, with any with any given channel, I think you know uh, whether it's email subscribers or whether it's an Instagram account. If you have lots of people following those accounts or subscribed to those accounts, but none of them convert, like you say, then it doesn't matter. You know, right? It's just a it's just a vanity metric. So watching how people engage with your uh, content along the way, I think is probably. I mean, it's certainly more important for a lot of these other channels that that we've talked about on the show. So good to know that it's uh, similar for YouTube as well. So. We have a video, we've posted it. What are some of the things that we're going to do to optimize that video so that after we're done sharing about it via our other platforms, that maybe it gets some evergreen traffic?
0: Yeah. So a lot of times people talk about metadata and needing all this special metadata and YouTube's at the point now where it knows what your video is about when you post it. And so as far as adding a title that really proposes the value or pitches the story of your video, having that custom thumbnail, writing about a two paragraph summary of that video in the description box, using keywords, using your tags. So tags are like keywords in YouTube, just using your tags to describe that video. So if I'm talking about how to grow a YouTube channel, I'm not getting really fancy with these tags. My tags are just How to grow a YouTube channel, grow a YouTube channel, how to start a YouTube channel, growing a YouTube channel, just those types of tags. A lot of people get hung up on having the perfect metadata, but YouTube nowadays knows what your video is about. Um, Adding cards. So cards is another thing you can add to your video. And when you're just getting started, kind of adding them evenly spaced throughout your video but once you start getting some metrics back on when people are leaving based on your audience retention potentially add a card about five seconds before people start leaving so you suggest another it's kind of like suggesting another video to them
1: such a great Hack, You know, like uh, anytime I've got, I've just added cards at the end, you know, and there's really no rhyme or reason. I just, I mean, sometimes there is, sometimes there's a very clear like next step. Right. But oftentimes because, you know, like, like you've told us we should have a plan and I didn't have a plan it was just whatever is next. So that's really, you know, I love how you're using the metrics there to figure out okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to add those cards. And those are something you can add since that's in the YouTube editor stuff. You know, you don't have to re-record the video to do that. No, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the other one is getting them transcribed. So YouTube does have an automatic one, but it's not great. So I use the service rev.com, rev.com and it they'll do transcriptions for a dollar a minute and why I love this Is because it links to your YouTube channel. So once you purchase the captions, it takes about an hour or two, and you automatically have custom captions on YouTube. And that's gonna help your audience retention because a lot of us like to read as we're hearing what, as we're watching what they're saying. And so that increases your audience retention, also the deaf community. And you can take that caption that they create download it and upload it to Facebook if you upload your YouTube video natively to Facebook. So that's kind of how I repurpose. I go from YouTube to Facebook, and I upload that YouTube video natively to Facebook and add those captions that I paid for to that Facebook video.
1: You could, you also use that almost as a, like a blog post, you know, you might go in and change it up a little bit because how you write is maybe a little different how you speak, but that's interesting. I've seen, uh, it's rev. So we've used in the past Temi, I think that's how you say it, which is, it's the same company, but it's their like cheap brand, you know? And so it's, it's like 10 cents a minute. So if you're on a budget that's a good one to check out. The downside though is Rev, I believe they run it through their software, but then they also have humans check it, right? So it comes back with like nearly hundred percent accuracy, I assume. Whereas Temi, it's basically, you're just running it through their software. So you'll have to go back in and make you know a bunch of updates. But if you're looking to save a couple of dollars, it's a good, it's a good, a uh, good way to do that and get captions. They also, they don't have a direct connection as far as I know to YouTube like Rev does. So, but if you're only doing a a six minute video, right, it's not six
0: minutes a week. Yeah.
1: See, I was transcribing these, these podcasts, you know, which are an hour, you know, so all of a sudden you're spending $60 just to get it transcribed. Now I I have this service that does it, that edits and all that stuff too, as well. But rev for something like the podcast gets a little pricey. So, but that's uh, that's awesome. So. You know, I got to imagine that people are going to be, first of all, they're going to, you know, I I bet people are taking notes. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed, that's okay. Don't let that stop you because I know that you have resources already available via things like Trello that actually break up everything we talked about. So it's all, you know, laid out nice and neat. Uh, So can you talk about where people can find some of these resources if they want to get started?
0: Yeah, so I have the like the YouTube roadmap launch. Um, it walks you through 10 steps. It helps you figure out that value proposition and takes you along the steps of the uh, setting up your YouTube channel and getting it ready. And that's at my website, trinalittle.com forward slash roadmap. And then if you're really ready to get a workflow in place and you just want to, you know, copy, swipe what I have, I have a Trello board that walks you through every single process. I think it's at over 50 checkpoints. So I love, I'm love i a checklist person. I love being able to check things off a checklist. So it takes you through the research phase. Here are the five checklists you need to do in the research phase Then you go into the scripting phase. Here's your checklist. Here's your uh, scripting template. So it takes you through every process with all the checklists that you need to do for that process. And that's at trinalittle.com forward slash workflow.
1: Okay, awesome. And I'm j- jotting this down real quick because you'll be able to, you can, uh, if you go to the show notes for this, uh, this episode, we will have those resources listed out so that you can go directly to Trina's website, download those things, get access to that kind of stuff. And then also find her YouTube channel as well, you know, if you are interested in starting a YouTube channel. And again, I think that there's just so much opportunity there and it's, you know, it, it, it's going to take a little practice getting started, but YouTube... Pinterest, podcasting. I, I think there's just so much opportunity there um, because it's not as ubiquitous as blogging. And I and I'm pro blogging. I don't think blogging's dead or any nonsense like that. But I just think that it's probably easier to cut through the noise if, you know, in starting a YouTube channel, because percentage wise of business owners, you know, there's probably a 90% chance that a business has a blog, but do they have a YouTube channel? You know, and so it's an extra way, I think, to get search visibility.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the most recent statistic was, but in 2017, it was like 9% of small businesses were on YouTube. And so I'm not sure what it was this year, but you can kind of cut through the noise, like you said, a bit on YouTube.
1: Yeah, I mean, but even if that double, like even if it's 20% now, even if it's even if it's uh, 45% now, you know, I guarantee you that the number is far lower than the people who have a blog. And, you know, we could, we could keep talking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wrapping it up here again, just for, you know, speaking of audience retention and things like that. But anyways, Trina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here. I can't wait to implement the things that, that we talked about. And are there any other places that people can connect with you beyond your website and YouTube channel?
0: Yeah, I do a lot of Instagram stories, so I will share a lot of the times when I'm batch recording, so what that looks like, the stack of clothes I have on the floor that I'm changing into, and so that's at Instagram.com, whatever, forward slash Trina underscore little.
1: All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Brandset Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.